If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word with me. Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 809, page 809. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Praise God for his holy word. Please be seated. Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews for the purpose of them knowing that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah and King. That Jesus was not just a man, but fully God and fully man the Son of God. Matthew desires the salvation of his fellow Jews. He longs for them to repent of their sins and to trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. He wants them to trust that Jesus is the Messiah and the long-awaited King. He wants them to be saved. Matthew's desire, this righteous desire, it does not flow from Matthew himself. This desire flows from the work of Christ upon Matthew's life. It comes from his new nature and the Holy Spirit. This desire is a work of God. Matthew followed Christ and Christ conformed him to fish for souls. In other words, Jesus caused Matthew to fish for souls. Today we continue in our study of the earthly early on ministry of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He has made his public appearance. He has been baptized by John the Baptist to fulfill all righteousness. God the Holy Spirit has rested upon Christ. God the Father has voiced his pleasure in him, saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He was tempted by the devil three times, remaining righteous and sinless. And last week in verses 18 through 22, we discussed the truth that Jesus himself calls his disciples. His disciples follow him and his followers fish for souls because Jesus does this in their lives. Today's verses 23 through 25, they dive immediately into the mission and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, these these short verses, they supply for us as God's children a summary and pattern of Jesus' earthly ministry. In Matthew 4, verse 17, Jesus began preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These words were also what led to the coming of Christ and John the Baptist preparing the way. This is what he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what we find Jesus doing throughout Galilee. Matthew focuses upon two things in the life 
of Christ in these three verses. His words and his works. His words and his works. He's giving us a precursor to what is coming. In chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, you find the words of Jesus. We will spend a lot of time in these chapters. The words of Jesus. And then chapters 8 and 9 of the Gospel of Matthew are the works of Jesus. Today's verses, beginning in verse 23. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. So the first thing that Jesus did throughout Galilee was teach. So point number one is Jesus taught in the synagogues. Jesus taught in the synagogues. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So Galilee was a 60-mile by 30-mile area in which Jesus traveled and ministered, a place in which he spent most of his time. With a population of around 300,000 souls in approximately 200 cities, he traveled on foot. Jesus and his disciples were extremely busy. He taught in the synagogues of Galilee, the primary locations of Jewish worship, of Jewish study, of Jewish fellowship, and all the legal activity of the Jewish law. He taught in the synagogues of Galilee. Most of these locations were located on the highest locations in the town for clear visibility and clear focus of the people. Worship was held every Sabbath. Sundown on Friday began the worship, while sundown on Saturday ended the worship. They gathered for worship. Sections of the Torah and prophets were read. Prayers, singing, and responses occurred. Then a text was expounded upon, similar to what we find in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. The people gathered. There was a wooden platform in which the scriptures were read. God's word was proclaimed and expounded upon so that people understood the text. So Jesus visited the synagogues throughout Galilee. And when he visited, he taught. Luke chapter 4 is a great example. If you'll turn with me there, Luke chapter 4 beginning in verse 16. In Luke 4, 16 through 21, we find these words. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus went into the synagogues to teach a Jewish people who had gathered. Teaching. The passing on of information to impart instruction, to explain, to instill doctrine into the lives of others. So often in our modern day, We are so consumed with so much items that we forget to teach. But let us also know that a failure to teach is also teaching. 
A failure to teach is teaching them that something is more important than something that we're not doing. Jesus went into the synagogues to pass on divine truth from the Scriptures. He taught the Old Testament Scriptures. He did so without error, with proper understanding, with correct implications. What a wonderful comfort it is to know that when the Son of God began His ministry, He taught in the synagogues where people had gathered to worship. He taught them from the Scriptures that they already had. The, the Old Testament Scriptures are reliable. Jesus showed up. Remember, this is the beginning of the ministry of Christ. They often say from the Old Testament to the New Testament, what you have is that Jesus doesn't show up and change everything. Jesus shows up and turns the lights on. That Christ turned the light on. He is more than a prophet. He is the Son of God that has begun His ministry, and He did so by teaching the Scriptures. And for our encouragement, we have these Old Testament Scriptures today. Along with the New Testament. That all 66 books of the Bible are breathed out by God and needed for us as the children of God for our sanctification, for our growth, for our understanding of who God is and who we are. In fact, the New Testament directly quotes the Old Testament word for word 283 times. That's one out of every 20 New Testament verses comes directly from the Old Testament or 4.4%. Jesus began his ministry of saving sinners by teaching. He knew the scriptures. And as God's children, we need to be increasing in our knowledge of the scriptures. We should be feasting on the word of God so that we have transformed lives. How can we please God if we don't know God? How can we please God if we don't know what he has said? If you're here this morning and you're claiming to be a Christian who is taking in low doses of spiritual food, I bet you know the areas in which you are living like the world. We all need to work at knowing the Scriptures, not just for our sake, but for those around us. We need to live a wise life, absolutely, amen, but we also need the next generation to know the Lord. Discipleship is knowing the Word of God. It is understanding how to live in response to knowing the Word of God. It's living in the light and the work of passing it on, helping others conform more into the image of Christ. It is not holding on to something that we say is dear and precious and never talking about it and never passing it on. Jesus taught in the synagogues. Point number two, Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. We must teach the scriptures, but we must also teach the gospel of the kingdom. John Calvin put it like this. Matthew calls it the gospel of the kingdom by which the kingdom of God is established among men for their salvation. That true and eternal happiness is thus distinguished from the prosperities and joys of this present life. Now it would be easy for us to name names to pull up figures throughout history who have lived for the pleasures of this life, but that would absolutely be pointless this morning. What would be beneficial is for us to look at our own lives 
and to ask, how in the world am I living for the Lord, and how in the Lord world am I living for myself? Our teaching and preaching must include the gospel of the kingdom. Just this past week, I was thinking about the area in which we live. Our area is much different from that of St. George, Utah. It's much different from Kansas and Nebraska. We're in the Bible Belt. This past week, I heard a country song about the Bible Belt. I had a conversation with some other Christians about how what we find in the Bible Belt in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is Jesus plus something. Because Jesus alone is not good enough. It must be something else that we must add to the equation. That's wrong thinking. We find many teachings. We find myriads of sermons, funerals, gravesides, camps, rallies, conferences, times of prayers in which the gospel is absolutely never shared. Jesus taught the scriptures and he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus proclaimed, Jesus preached, he heralded, he cried out the gospel of the kingdom. In teaching the Old Testament scriptures, he cried out the good news of Christ. Ultimately, he went to the Old Testament scriptures and he pointed to them and he declared, I am pointing to myself, I am the good news. He heralded the truth that Messiah has come, that salvation is here, that the gospel of the kingdom is the center and should be the center of all of our teaching as the church. That Jesus taught about the gospel of the kingdom at the beginning as well as as the end before he ascended. It never stopped. Acts 1 verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days. So Jesus had been killed, he had been buried, he had risen, and then he had hung out with his disciples during a 40-day period. And what did he do during that 40-day period? He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. This is a perfect example and model for us. The speaking the gospel of the kingdom should never stop flowing from our hearts and lips. And it never will from those who have been born again. Even in times of foolishness, the Spirit of God will bring the person back. That the gospel of the kingdom is good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of grace. It's the good news of justification and sanctification. It's the good news that the blood of Christ covers all of our sin. That the righteousness of Christ presenting us to God the Father, that the old nature has been removed, that a new nature has been given, that without the gospel of the kingdom, there is no good news in this life or the life to come. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He, Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of our sins. So without Christ, there is no redemption. Without Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is what the Lord does for sinners. He delivers them from the domain of darkness. He transfers them to the kingdom of his beloved son. If anything for us, no matter our spiritual maturity this morning, if we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we have much to be thankful for. 
That our joy is not based upon our present circumstances, but it's based upon what Christ has done and is doing. That our joy, even in the here and the now, although we may be suffering as we are looking to Christ, and we know what our Christ has promised us, that He will conform us into the image of Himself, and that He's going to turn all these things that are happening, they are for our good and for His glory. So in Christ, there is forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist, he called for repentance of sins in preparation for the Messiah. And when Jesus the Messiah showed up, he proclaimed repentance as well. But he also told them the good news of the kingdom. That there is forgiveness found in him. We are not perfect creatures. We make mistakes. But just like our Savior Jesus, we need to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. God has established his gospel and entrusted us with it. The gospel of the kingdom does not change. We don't change the gospel based upon who we are speaking with. We don't add anything to the gospel. We don't remove anything from the gospel. The gospel itself is offensive. The gospel divides. The gospel convicts. But the gospel of the kingdom, the outward call, is what the Lord uses to save sinners. There is an external call in which we we give, an external call in which we give, followed by the effectual call which God delivers. So within the gospel of the kingdom, in the beginning there was only our triune God. That God created all things. He created man in his own image. All of creation enjoyed God and his creation without sin. Adam and Eve, they were commanded, even without sin, to keep the garden, not to eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. Satan tempted and mankind fell. Adam and Eve sinned. And Adam being our federal head resulted in all mankind being conceived in sin, separated from God, in need of a Savior. Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us, and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10.9, if we confess our sins, he is, if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We are to teach the words of God. And we are to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Where Adam fell, Jesus Christ succeeded. And all who are in him are saved. So when Jesus began his ministry, he taught in the synagogues. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And the third thing that we see is Jesus healed every kind of disease and affliction among the people. I don't know if you've thought much about that. He healed every kind of disease and affliction among the people. It says he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of healing, kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, every kind of those among the peoples. So his fame spread throughout all Syria 
and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. In many churches and teachings, healings have become primary, while the gospel has been completely ignored. Here in Eulis, including visitors that we have had at this church, I have heard individuals declare that when the gospel is preached, physical healings will also take place because that was a pattern in the life of Christ. Some actually wrongly believe that all who are sick are sick because they lack faith. Some teach that Jesus came for you to have your best life now and that physical sickness is not part of his will for your life. Here in the context of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was providing undeniable evidence to those in Galilee that he was God. That's the context. The words of John MacArthur are gold here. He said Jesus' healing was a divine verification. His healing ministry was a powerful addition to the evidence of his teaching and preaching. Hebrews 1 speaks of the supremacy of Jesus Christ, his preeminence and purification for sins, and his never-ending throne and kingdom. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, the first four verses helps explain why there were healings, why there were signs, and why there were wonders. Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. See, so many people today, they have drifted away from the very foundations they have been taught because they haven't paid close attention. For since a message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So God bore witness by signs and wonders. Various miracles at first. It was the Lord's will. But these temporary healings were not the purpose of Christ's coming. Healings were never the focus of Christ. It was always proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom doing what he came to do, taking our place on the cross, paying for what we could not pay, saving his people from their sins, shedding his own blood so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ came to die and to rise and commission his children. Look at what Jesus said later in Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, verse 4. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. The story of Job that we have, it reminds us that not all suffering and diseases are caused by sin or that of God's judgment. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 are also helpful. He passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Even suffering is about the glory of God. The Messiah would come and he would heal. Isaiah 35, 5-6 instructs us that Christ has fulfilled that. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. 
Not only did these healings give proof to who he was and his message, revealing the power of God, but for us today as God's children, it reminds us of what glorification will be like. It reminds us that what God has accomplished, he is not done accomplishing his work, that there is still more to do, that all the sin, that all the turmoil, that all the evil that we see in this present world, all the heartaches that we have, that one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We will be with him forever for those of us who are his children. That everything had a divine purpose for his name and for his glory. Yes, you and I may not understand the why in a situation. Why is God allowing this? Why is God causing this? Why is this happening? Why didn't he do it another way? But the reality is we know his promise of the actual why is that it's for his name and for his glory. The kingdom of heaven is not wishful thinking. It's a growing reality. The Lord is saving his people from their sins. He is growing his eternal kingdom that will never fade away. We need to find encouragement in that as God's people. This building, it's fading. It's crumbling, literally. There are areas in which it's falling apart. My own house, it always needs upkeep. There's always something to do. God is growing his kingdom that will never fade. That every child he saves, he will hold on to. He will conform more into the image of Christ. That there will be a day of glorification. And then for all of eternity, we will be growing and learning more about who he is. And dot, 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 you'll never be bored with it. All the things you get bored with in the here and the now, don't expect to ever be bored in heaven. If you're bored in worshiping the Lord now, be assured you may not be worshiping the Lord in heaven. The Lord is saving his people from their sins. That's what he came to do. He is growing his eternal and forever kingdom that will never die. It will never fade. At our death or at the return of Christ when we are with God and all will be perfect. We will be with Christ and sin will be no more. Look with me at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. It's a great encouragement for us as we are looking at the early ministry of Christ. We need to be reminded of what he is doing. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words 
are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The eyes of the people, they were on Jesus. He was calling them to to repent. He was teaching. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And now he was providing more proof that he was the promised Messiah by healing. It says healing every disease, every affliction among the people, so that his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. So Jesus the Messiah healed sickness and physical weaknesses. He healed those physically suffering, those demon-possessed, those mentally ill, as well as those who were disabled. The power of Christ was on display. His compassion, his, His ability to heal the physical was such ease. Now apply this to the spiritual. When we see what Christ had done with those individuals, with their physical things, their struggles, their, their issues that they had, how quickly he said, go do this, or you've been made well, rise. We must think about the spiritual as well, that he saves to the uttermost. J.C. Ryle said, Jesus is mighty to cure every ailment of our souls. There is no broken heart that he can't heal. There is no wound or conscience that he cannot cure. Fallen, crushed, bruised, plague-stricken as we all are by sin, Jesus by his blood and spirit can make us whole. We have all struggled with sin this past week. We all struggle in many ways. Sin which easily entangles us and, and we fall into it. It makes a promise and it fails to keep that promise and it takes us away from the Lord in obedience to the Lord. But let us not forget that Jesus, he saves to the uttermost. I do believe that the Lord physically heals today if it's his will. But I deny that it is always his will. I deny that it's a lack of faith if one is not healed. I deny that healings always occur when the true gospel is preached. And I deny that it's the sharing of the good news of Christ when one just goes out and tries to physically heal but doesn't discuss sin in Christ. Physical healing was not the reason why Christ came. He came to save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ was always focused on the eternal, not the temporary. It is the matters of the heart that are of most important. Temporary healings do not help an individual enter heaven. That's why most self-help books are pointless. 
Jesus provided undeniable evidence to those in Galilee that he was God by healing every kind of disease and affliction among the people. So Jesus taught in the synagogues. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and affliction among the people. And point number four, the result of what Jesus did was that great crowds followed him. Now, those great crowds, they followed him for different reasons. Matthew 4.25, great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So the fame of Jesus Christ spread. He became well-known. People came to him. People brought him those who were sick. And the result was that great crowds followed him. Many followed Jesus for what they could get, the temporary. They did not follow him for who he was and what he taught. If our message to the world is that Jesus will heal your diseases in the here and the now, we are failing to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. If we just speak about what is temporary in this life, failing to discuss sin, failing to discuss death, hell, repentance, belief, justification, the good news of Christ, and the upcoming judgment, we are not following Christ, we are not following the disciples of Christ, we are not following the early church, And we're not in the footsteps of the cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. We speak of what Christ did, absolutely. But we don't make promises of temporary healing when God must do it and it must be his will. Make the promise of all who come to Christ will not be cast out. Give that promise. Great crowds followed Jesus. These crowds did not stay great. When they heard the hard sayings of Christ, they left. But Jesus still has had his followers. Jesus still has his followers today. You see, it's easy for us as God's people to make church worship about us. But it's not about us. Even when Christ appeared on the scene, when he was born of a virgin... The Father provided something physical, a star, to lead people to the fact to go out into the field and to leave the field and to worship the Savior. It's always been about the Lord. Souls followed and souls believed. Lives were changed forever. And now, 2,000 years later, we still find that the Lord is saving his people from their sins. He is growing his forever kingdom. The words and works of Jesus Christ, they are good news. We have a wonderful, as we already sang today, we have a wonderful, marvelous Savior who takes sinners from the domain of darkness and he transfers them to the everlasting kingdom of his Son. That there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. As his saints, if you've been purchased by his blood, praise him. Not just with your lips, with your heart. We keep learning who the Lord is. We keep understanding more and more of what he has done. We ask the Lord to mature us, to grow us in the understanding of his his word that we want to please the Lord more and more and more with our lives. 
That as the Apostle Paul was talking to young Timothy and he was telling them, preach the word, continue, remain steadfast, keep examining yourself, keep examining your life, examine your doctrine, keep pressing on, we must do the same. Keep learning who the Lord is, what he has done, reminding yourself of what he will do. And if you're here this morning and you're without Christ, you are still in your sins. If you do not have a personal, intimate relationship with Christ, if you never repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, here is a command from the Lord. Repent and believe. Turn from your sins. Call on Christ, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come to Christ. He will never cast you out. And for you as God's children this morning, are you still speaking about the great kingdom of God? Not just to others. Are you preaching the gospel to yourself? Do you rise in the morning and say, give me Jesus? Do you go to bed and you're thankful for all that Jesus has done? Do you take time to confess your sins before the Lord? Because all these things that we learned at first is not something that we just learned and did. It's something that we continue to learn, continue to do. That we walk with the Lord. What a great example that we have in our Savior, what he did. He taught the scriptures. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He healed every disease and affliction. And great crowds followed him as a result. There are great crowds in many churches today, but for many, it's the wrong reason. I'm praying that for you this morning, it's to worship the Lord. It's to be reminded of who Christ is, what Christ has done, what Christ is doing. It's to be reminded that even in your darkest of hours, as you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, as you are struggling with sin, that that sin you must call upon and ask the Lord. Lord, it is only by the Holy Spirit that you can put that sin to death and you realize that Christ is conforming you more into the image of Christ, that he not only did physical healings at one point in history, but he does spiritual healings that he saves to the uttermost. Father, I thank you for your holy word. Forgive us when we have lived by the looking of our eyes versus living by faith. Forgive us when the things of this world have become our treasures. We have not treasured you above all things. Father, as we continue week after week after week in the days ahead to, to look at your teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, I pray that we would be spiritually hungry. We would come to you and be spiritually satisfied. Lord, I pray that you would take away the things of this world in which we're feasting on and become idols. We would repent of those things and we'll be focused upon you and your kingdom, that we would see lives change in this place, not just brought to salvation, but lives in which individuals are saying, Lord, I am tired and exhausted with my sin. I want my life to be filled with living for you. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross and to rise and to justify sinners. 
Lord, we pray for the return of Christ. And we pray that we will live lives that are pleasing to you. It's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.